0: I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. Well, surprise, surprise, when I was in college, I attended a weeknight Bible study. And I had a professor who loved to sit cross-legged on the floor of the student center with a Greek New Testament open in front of him. He was the kind of teacher... Who, when we asked, so how did Jesus enter that locked room after his resurrection? Talk to us about quantum particle resonance, obviously. Maybe Jesus walked through a wall, he said. His resurrected self could have known the frequency of the particles in the wall and in his own body, and he could have resonated them in such a way that they didn't bump into each other when he walked through the wall. The dozen or so of us students who wandered into Bible study each week, we were like Nicodemus on our way to Jesus at night, armed with our most troubling questions about God. And I remember one such night when a student asked, if what Jesus says in the Bible is true, that he is the only way to God the Father. What happens to the people who die without ever believing in Jesus? Well, let me ask you this, our professor quipped as he flipped open his Bible to today's reading from 1 Peter. Do you think God got meaner after Jesus entered human history? A dozen heads shook side to side, eyes wide. Christ suffered for sins once for all, he quoted from the epistle. Once for all, he kept reading, in order to bring you to God. Jesus was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey. Then the professor pulled out a piece of scrap paper and scribbled on it. At the top, he drew the cross of Christ. And underneath it, an umbrella with the word time written on it. And underneath that, the words, the cosmos. The cross is outside of time, he said. God did not get meaner after Christ. He said these words to assure us all, and that's in part why I bring them up today, to offer us some assurance. Those of us who, like that student that night, have asked a similar question. What happens to those who die without ever believing in Jesus? Because I know some of you here ask it. Maybe when you see the Hindu CSU student wander in on a Thursday service at Eucharist, or you worry the question at the edges of your heart when you think of great Aunt Leah who died, a practicing Jew, or or wonder what might happen to your best, best friend Fatima who's living her happy Muslim life. We have all asked in our own way some form of the question, did God get meaner after Jesus? Whether we've meant to ask it or not. So, I'll respond where my professor began with First Peter's words, Christ suffered for sins once for all. Consider that text and whether the following might be true. The death and resurrection of Jesus was a cosmic event, not just one that happened in history. And this cosmic event explodes our own understandings of space and time. Or, in the words of the renowned Dr. Who, people assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. And whether it's the Time Lord, Doctor Who, or the transwarp conduits of Star Trek's Borg, or the middle-aged Chinese immigrant woman in the recent film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, all these time and space traveling fantasy characters point us towards something that is true, something that writers of scripture have tried to convey before all of these theories about time travel and the multiverse ever existed there's something that's true there. Maybe it's that the cross of Christ was an outside of time event existing above the umbrella that shields this created cosmos as we know it. The death and resurrection of Jesus was a once for all eternity plan of salvation that moves us from our linear understanding of time and space into something more complex. So let's start with the linear stuff from the early church. When they first started asking their version of this question, did God get meaner after Jesus? They had to begin answering the question with their own concept of the afterlife. What about those people in Sheol? They wondered. Who will release the imprisoned in the underworld of the dead? That was the ancient question. Sheol in the Hebrew Bible is what we know as death or the grave or the pit. That's how we translate it. And it describes this ancient Jewish understanding of the afterlife. But it had no moral connotations like heaven or hell have for us today. Sheol was just the place everybody went when they died. And so the followers of Jesus surmised that Sheol is therefore where Jesus went when he died. He spent all Holy Saturday there, right? Doing something. And around the time of Jesus, there were new ideas about this place of the dead that were emerging as the Jewish world and the Roman world continued to merge. Even Jesus himself started speaking about a paradise after death, a place to rest on Abraham's bosom, hinting that there was a good place to go. He taught this as the Greco-Roman notions of Hades started to bleed into Jewish and Christian thought with the idea that in that underworld beneath the earth, there were actually 2 subregions: a place of bliss and a place of torment. So this is what the early church was working with. And as these new Christians developed our creeds, we still have today, they had to commit to a narrative about what happened between Jesus' death and resurrection. So our Apostles' Creed, in our Book of Common Prayer, it has two possible ways to think about it. Jesus descended to the dead, or he descended to hell. You've probably heard both spoken in the creeds regardless of which translation you prefer, they're both telling us that this place that Jesus went on Holy Saturday was the place of the dead where there were those who never believed in him in this life. Today's epistle writer is sitting in this idea and conveys the idea that when Jesus went there to Sheol on Holy Saturday, He was preaching to those who had been consumed by the flood in Noah's day. They were held captive by death in Sheol. So he preached to them. But the early church fathers believed something different. They thought Jesus went and preached to those held captive by the law. That he preached himself as Messiah to the Jewish patriarchs. The medieval reformers believed something different. Jesus harrowed harrowed hell. He proclaimed his victory over Satan. And medieval art depicts Jesus taking Adam's hand and Eve's hand and leading them both off to paradise. Regardless of all the beliefs, we can see the theme running within them. Holy Saturday's descent to the dead symbolizes Christ's ultimate victory over death for everybody, whether you are alive or dead, Christ has been victorious for you, once for all, just like First Peter says. See, the early church, they were working with this understanding of an afterlife that was very linear in terms of space, okay? Right? You've heard it before. God was above in heaven. People in this life are in the middle on earth, and the dead are below the earth. That's the imagery, very linear. They were also working with the linear concept of time. Jesus had to have done something on that day in between, Friday and Sunday. So, the narrative of him going and preaching to those who had died to invite them into this story of salvation. Linear time and linear space. But there's also evidence in the Bible of events not occurring in that linear way you read anything from the book of Revelation? The way that it's written, time is synchronous. Oh, everything happens at once. And then scripture has these pockets of similar moments, these seer-like moments where prophets are either seeing into the future or they're seeing into the past. Remember when Jesus himself says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. When was he talking about? The past, the future? something outside of what we understand as time and space. Well, now it's 2023, and we have physicists who have remarkable theories that stretch our own thinking about time and space and the possibilities of traveling interdimensionally. The universe, turns out, is so much bigger than we ever thought it was. Perhaps our God is so much bigger than we've thought of God to be as well. So hold on to your watches because this is now actually the timey-wimey part. Biblical Greek has two common words for time. Talked about this before, chronos, chronological time. It's what we keep our watches to. And then kairos, which is now time. Kairos means something kind of like everything, everywhere, all at once. And kairos is actually used more often in the writings of the New Testament than chronos is. Not a lot of chronological time explanations needed in scripture, but we're going to talk about kairos a lot because kairos is God's timing. Kairos is the inbreaking of the divine into human history. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, at just the right kairos... At just the right kairos time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's an explosion. Christ's death is an explosion of time and space. It's a kairos moment, a now moment, a God moment. The death and resurrection of Jesus are not an event that occurred in the past alone, it's that inbreaking of God, of the Holy Spirit into now. Jesus' descent to dead, we know this wasn't a literal movement into the bowels of the earth, right? We think of heaven or hell nowadays as another plane of existence, something different. So one way to look at it, one way to think about Holy Saturday, is to see it as the time when Jesus is perpetually and eternally preaching to those who are in the place of the dead. Jesus is always there revealing the wounds in his hands and feet just like he did to Thomas, inviting them to himself. Anyone who has already died and who will ever die is right now being perpetually invited into Christ. So if you're a sci-fi fan, you can think of the cross or Holy Saturday as a cosmic wormhole It's that everything bagel that sucks in anything that draws near to it. The cross exists in all times, in all places, and anyone who finds their way to it in life or in death is baptized into Christ's death and resurrection then and now and forever. It's kind of mind-blowing. First Peter Today's epistle tells us that our baptisms at our baptisms, you and I as Christians are incorporated into Christ's death and resurrection. Baptism, it's like our event horizon. It's our entry point to the eternal sermon of Holy Saturday. It's our entry into God's Kairos time. Right here, right now. That's really good news for us Christians. We get to live into eternity now. But what's really, really, really good news for everybody else, the gospel news, is that whenever and wherever human beings are, dead or alive, Christ always finds them. He's always already present to them, inviting them to himself. And that's true for you and me and great-aunt Leah and Fatima and the student walking down Euclid Avenue right now. God did not get meaner after Jesus. In fact, there really is no after Jesus or before Jesus. Christ suffered once and for all, for all humanity, so that each person could be with him in paradise today. The cross of Jesus It's like a wormhole to heaven, to the place where Christ sits even now at the right hand of God above all powers and authorities of time and of space in a big ball of wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey stuff that assures that no one will ever be left outside of God's love.